How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. Welcome to Climate One and the Commonwealth Club in Silicon Valley. I'm Wendy Schmidt, founder of the 11th Hour Project and board chair of the new Cradle to Cradle Products Innovation Institute. Four years ago today, California made history when Governor Schwarzenegger signed a bill mandating a significant reduction in greenhouse gas emissions in our state by 2020. That was AB 32. And it signaled to states across the nation and to the world California's leadership towards the promise of a clean energy economy. While the effect of increasing levels of greenhouse gases in our atmosphere is well documented, there's a lively debate today about what to do about it and at what cost. Does reducing carbon pollution stifle economic opportunity for companies in our state? Or does it in fact create new jobs and new kinds of jobs desperately needed by our citizens? Is California losing its high-tech edge to other states like Massachusetts and to other countries like China? And what should our next governor do to regain California's prosperity and leadership as we rebuild the state's economy in the most forward-looking way? These are the critical questions for those of us here in Silicon Valley. And we're delighted to have the state's chief executive with us today to discuss these issues with our audience here in Santa Clara. Please join me in welcoming California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Thank you very much, Wendy, for the nice introduction, and also Greg Dalton, the founder of the Climate One at the Commonwealth Cup, saying thank you very much for being here today, and I know you have all kinds of interesting questions. It was fun hanging out with you in Copenhagen also. It was fun. Exactly, except it was jet-lagged. He was half asleep over there the whole time. But anyway, <laughs> we all were, not just him. Anyway, I also want to say uh, thank you very much to Speaker Nunez, where is he sitting right here in front for being here today? Let's give him a big hand because he was responsible for getting AB 32 passed. And Senator Pavley is also right next to him, right over here. Let's give her also a big hand for the great work that they have done. See, something like this you never do by yourself. So this, this were the real true warriors, both of them. And this was a perfect example how Democrats and Republicans can work together in order to improve uh, the state. So we were very happy. And, of course, Speaker, I miss you in Sacramento. I miss the action that we have created together. It was really terrific working with you. And then we have Secretary Linda Adams also here. Where's right over here uh, from the EPA, our Secretary. Thank you for being here today. And then we have also Susan Kennedy, my Chief of Staff, right here in the front. Uh, thank you for being here today. And David Crane is also here, our expert. And... Uh, economic issues and job creation. Let's give him also a big hand. See, I'm introducing a lot of Democrats. What's going on here? <laughs> uh, but anyway, so there's a lot of things that I want to talk to you today about. A, my daughter told me that I should tell you that she has a new book that came out. 
which is very important, uh, rock what you've got. Um, she's been on a publicity tour. Then my son just turned 13 today, Christopher. He told me to mention that also. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, you also know that I have appeared uh, in a cameo in Sylvester Stallone's new movie, The Expendables. I'm sure you have all seen that also. <laughs> it's about uh, a group of lame duck governors. So that's what they, I'm not going to say much more about the story. But it's a fantastic movie, and they say that I'm going to get an Oscar for that performance. So I'm very happy. But I'm not talking about my movie career here. I'm talking here about much more important things uh, like the environment and energy. I want to talk about the corruption of the democratic process and about forces willing to sabotage this country's economic future for private gain. I want to talk about Texas oil interests that have descended upon California to overturn a California environmental law. And then, as soon as they've done their dirty work, thanks to millions of dollars of scare tactic advertising, they intend, in the words of their own spokesperson, to fold up their tents and go home. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a great drama there is a great struggle playing out here in California right now that the rest of the world doesn't pay much attention to and knows very little about. And that's why I'm here today to put the spotlight on this very important issue. And uh, let me just say that the entire oil industry is not involved in this deception that I will explain here today. No, there are some oil companies that are trying to do the right thing, but others are not. Oil companies like Valero and DeSoro and Frontier and Koch Industries are blatantly trying to manipulate the will of the people and the public good. And there is a historical precedent for such manipulation. Most people don't know this, but here, let me tell you. In the 1920s, some of the oil and car and tire industries created a small shell company that conspired to quietly buy up the nation's electric rail systems, the light rail systems all over the United States, and then place them replaced them with buses, which were much dirtier and less efficient, but much more profitable for those companies. And they succeeded. By the 1960s, they bought and destroyed electric rail systems in 45 U.S. cities, from Philadelphia to New York to Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, Los Angeles, which had one of the best light rail systems in the world, running 1,000 electric trains a day, to, uh, the conspirators torched those rail cars torched those rail cars, tore up the tracks so that they never can come back. Several companies were convicted of criminal conspiracy. The day Valero and Tosoro and others are involved, are also involved in the conspiracy, but not in a criminal conspiracy, but clearly in a cynical one. They are not seeking to buy rail systems, but to buy votes this time. Yet the motivation is the same, which is self-serving greed. Two-thirds of, of Californians approve our state landmark law to reduce carbon dioxide emissions. Do you know who the two most prominent opponents are? Valero and DeSoro, also two of the state's top polluters. They are behind an initiative on a November ballot called Proposition 23 which would suspend our law to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But in reality, because of the fine print when it comes to unemployment, they really don't want to just suspend it. They want to kill this initiative. They want to kill our laws. And while they're not creating a shell company, they are creating a shell argument that this is about saving jobs. 
Does anyone really believe that these companies, out of the goodness of their black oil hearts, are spending millions and millions of dollars to protect jobs? This is like Eva Brown writing a kosher cookbook. It's not about jobs at all, ladies and gentlemen. It is about the ability to pollute and thus protect their profits. You want to talk about jobs? I mean, we've proven it over and over that green technology produces a lot of jobs. In Kern County, for instance, we broke ground on the largest wind farm in the world, creating 1,500 jobs. In Fremont, California, Toyota recently formed a partnership with Tesla Motors to build electric cars right here in California, creating an additional 1,000 jobs. And then we just got the permits for building the biggest solar plant in the world, much bigger than the Chinese have built, which will create another 2,000 jobs. So I can give you examples after examples about job creation. As a matter of fact, since 2005, green tech jobs in California have grown 10 times faster than the state wide average. Green jobs are the single largest source of job growth in California. And uh, we have proven over and over that you can protect the environment and also protect the economy at the same time. Yes, the economy is down. It's down worldwide. We've gone through a worldwide recession. It has nothing to do with our environmental laws. But I have an idea. An idea, if these oil companies are so concerned about our jobs, how about using those millions and millions of dollars that they're spending on those ads to use them for job training for California's emerging green economy? Wouldn't that be a great idea? Think about that. Now, of course, there will be some jobs lost in polluting industries. We will see that. While green industries will see jobs added, that's normal. Those who seek to overturn the law say that the cleaner future is a very nice, idyllic dream, but it is way out there in the future. I have news for them. This future is becoming more and more a reality. This dream is becoming more a reality. The United States Navy has set the goal, for instance, for running half of its fleet. Half of the United States Navy's fleet is going to be run by renewable, with renewable fuel by the year 2020. Now, if the tradition-bound Navy can do this, it's not radical environmentalism that we're talking about here. It is mainstream possible. I mean, the United States Navy is not some flaky left coast, sandal-wearing, pot-smoking, Berkeley the foo eater. Let's be honest. Valera and Tesoro want to stop the movement from old energy to new energy because it means lost market share. That's the bottom line. There's no doubt that we can move to a different economy based on different energy than that is not fossil fuel. We can do it. The question is, who is going to reap the huge rewards for doing exactly that? I just got back from China, and we all know that, uh, how Beijing is. It's like an equivalent, living there is an equivalent of smoking two to three packs of cigarettes a day. So they have health reasons to act on carbon reductions, but they also have economic reasons. China has made the decision, backed by billions and billions of dollars, that green tech is where the economic action is going to be. So they are saying green tech is where the economic action is going to be. China is an ancient culture, but with new ideas. We cannot let America be a young culture with old ideas. Those who seek to overturn our carbon reduction law say that the green tech future is too costly. 
Another excuse, great, great excuse, huh? But here's what they don't want to tell you. Their cost calculations doesn't include the increased cost of doing business their way, the old way. They don't include the costs, for instance, of rising oil prices as the developing world demands more and more oil. They don't include the costs of job losses that these rising oil prices will force. They don't include the costs of hundreds of billions of dollars in tax breaks that have gotten and continued to get. They don't include the costs of pollution that they're already causing. They don't, the cost of, for instance, the 100,000 Americans who die every year from smog-related diseases. They don't include also the costs of 6.5 million hospital visits a year for smog-related illnesses. They don't include the cost of the next war over oil. And believe me, eventually it will come as we become more and more dependent on oil. I mean, I think that we have had enough wars in the Middle East because of oil. Don't you think so? And that is why George Shultz, Ronald Reagan's Secretary of State, is firmly against Proposition 23 and is firmly against what Valero and Tesoro are doing. He believes that energy independence is directly related to our national security. Only a few years ago, energy independence was becoming a priority in this country. After wars in Kuwait and Iraq, and especially after seeing the gasoline prices going up to $5 a gallon. Then the economy fell apart. Then global action on environment fell apart. And then definitely action in Washington fell apart. And now, the last place in the country that major environmental change is still alive is right here in California. Only California has the power now to push this change. So the forces of the past have come to do battle in a state that is known for being America's environmental leader. America may not know, America may not know what direction it's going. Washington may not know in what direction they may go when it comes to energy or when it comes to the environment. But we here in California do know which direction we want to go. So for decades, Washington has had a void there and has not shown leadership. And that's why California has moved ahead. California uses 40% less energy per capita than the average American. California leads the nation in a number of clean energy companies with more than 12,000. California companies hold 40% of the nation's new patents in solar and in wind technology. California is the first state that has set the goal of having 33% of renewables by the year 2020. We were the first state to have a million solar roof program. And we were the first state to start building a hydrogen highway so that the car manufacturers cannot say, we don't want to produce hydrogen-fueled cars because there are no fueling stations. So we started building the fueling stations. No more excuses there. And now we see more and more hydrogen-fueled cars. Since our green gas standards were passed, billions of dollars in green venture capital has come to our state. The bottom line is we are creating action here in this state. Our investors say that this money represents the seed capital for the world's energy revolution. Last year, I took the French foreign trade minister to a business in San Francisco called SolarSign, which is a company that takes algae and produces biofuel, which is 90% cleaner than oil. The Navy has already taken delivery of its first shipment of algae-based jet fuel. In the last year, entrepreneurs pumped billions and billions of dollars of green tech 
venture capital into our state. Our requirements to reduce carbon levels has created a market uh, for new energy alternatives. The San Jose Mercury News said that if Proposition 23 passes, clean energy investments will come to a grinding halt. The venture capitalist Vinat Kalsler said that Proposition 23 will kill these new markets and thus the largest source of job growth in California. The head of, Silic of the Silicon Valley Leadership Group, an organization of more than 300 companies that opposes Proposition 23, has said that if California doesn't go forward with our reduction, with our reduced emission standards, we undercut all of those companies and entrepreneurs, creating jobs in solar, biofuel, and other renewable forms of energy. Old energy, like Valero and DeSoro, are all out for Proposition 23. And Silicon Valley is overwhelmingly against Proposition 23. Which side do you believe our economic future as a nation is on? Californians, from George Schultz, who is now 90 years old, to young entrepreneurs and investors in Silicon Valley, are trying to get out the word of how important this fight really is. We have only five weeks to go now to Election Day, and we are going to re not rest until the last vote is cast. We will work day and night to get out the message that this is not just about California. It is about America's economic prosperity and leadership in the years ahead. This is not just California's fight. California is America's last hope for energy change. We are the last major force pushing for an economy based on new energy. We need your help. That's why I'm here today. We need your help so that the old energy industries cannot buy themselves another 20, 30, or 40 more years of the status quo. We had moments before in our history where we, we were about to become less independent on oil. But we walked away. Each time we walk away, we as a nation become more and more vulnerable. This time, we cannot afford to walk away. And that is what this battle in California is all about. And ladies and gentlemen, we intend to win this battle. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I know we're doing some question and answer, if you don't mind. If I could have my partners, I, I didn't tell you about it. <laughs> so I'm sorry about this, you couldn't prep. Uh, but I would, I would feel more comfortable, since we have really worked together on this, if uh, Fran Parfley and Speaker Nunes, uh, if you can all come together here, come up here and answer questions. So please come on up here. Give them a big hand. Our thanks to Governor Schwarzenegger for his comments here today at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club in Silicon Valley. We are just joined by State Senator Fran Pavley and former Speaker of the California Assembly, uh, Fabian Nunez. Welcome. Um, Governor, we sat here a year ago, and Meg Whitman had just announced her campaign for governor, and she came out opposing, uh, saying she would suspend AB 32 on the first day. You said that was campaign rhetoric. Uh, she still holds that position, but on Friday she came out against Proposition 23. What do you think of Meg Whitman's stand on Prop 30, 
Prop 23 and AB 32? Well, you know, I've tried very hard not to get involved in the campaign. So I get asked all the time what I think what McWhitman said about this and what she said about that and what Cherry Brown said about this and about that. To me, right now, what is important is they are not going to be governor before November 2nd when the election is happening. So I think right now we should just keep the eye on the ball. Let's focus on this issue, not about what they said or what they didn't say. So let's just focus on it. If all of us work together, Democrats and Republicans, they believe in this, and they believe in a great energy future, and they believe that we've got to get rid of those refineries that are causing so many illnesses and that is destroying our, the health of so many children and of so many people in this state, that we should not look back, we should look forward. And what, when I look forward, I see renewables, I see uh, uh, you know, uh, algae that is turned into uh, biofuels, I see all kinds of great technology that is being developed here in California because we are the leading state if it is in stem cell research, in high technology, in biotechnology, in all of those things, and also in green technology. I think that we should all work together and push forward and be the leader in America and then eventually convince Washington to show some leadership in the world because we never have taken that philosophy in Washington, let other countries do it first when it comes to human rights or to anything else. We always say, we stand for this and we will lead, and then other countries followed us. And that's what we ought to do also with green technology, with the renewable uh, energy, with all of those things. Get off fossil fuels. We know that that was helping us in the last century, but the bridge to the next century that, that, that we are building here in California continu continuously, the 21st century is all about the new energy. And that's what we should be fighting for. But you must welcome Meg Whitman coming down on your side on Prop 23. Yes, but I, I, I welcome anyone that comes to our side and do helps, and I hope that she uses now some of her you know, billions of dollars that she has to put it into the campaign to fight Proposition 23. To me, that is much more important than what anyone says. So I want her to spend money, spend her millions of dollars against Proposition 23. That's real action. So... AB 32 is laying the foundation for a cap-and-trade system uh, based on a previous example of capping and trading uh, the emissions that cause acid rain in the United States. But cap-and-trade has been made uh, political poison in Washington. It's basically dead in Washington. Uh, and John McCain used to support cap-and-trade. He now is against it. So what can rise from the ashes of cap-and-trade to have a national program based on what California is doing? And then we can ask Speaker Nunez and Senator Pavley about the national how California can connect with the national... Well, first of all, let me just say that it was very successful with the acid rain, and we have seen that it works. And uh, the people, as a matter of fact, that were leading that fight in the 90s uh, are now helping us lead our fight here. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we have to work together on that. I think it's the right way to go. And I want to have uh, Senator Poffrey say a few words about the cap and rate because she was right there when we negotiated it. <laughs> Four years ago, and thank you very much, Governor, for your leadership on this particular issue. And over the last four years, truly uh, amazing as I've sort of followed you nationally and internationally around the world. Um, this is an objective of AB 32 and how we incentivize uh, businesses who are reducing their carbon footprint through energy efficiencies and other approaches, how we incentivize them to do more than their targeted reductions. This has worked in countries like Europe, 
that has worked with acid rain, as you mentioned, Canada and the United States. I spoke to a few weeks ago when Gordon Campbell, the premier of British Columbia, came to California. And I think what we'll need uh, as we wait for a national policy is for like-minded states or provinces working collaboratively together to establish a baseline uh, for reporting so that we can quantify reductions and then gradually implement uh, a cap-and-trade kind of approach that's workable and enforceable and verifiable. Speaker? No, the, the one thing I would add to that is that, you know, what this is is really, you know, the word term cap-and-trade as coined, obviously, you know, was not a bad thing until, I, I guess, President Obama began to, to speak of it. And then uh, a lot of folks decided, well, this is not a good thing. We shouldn't talk about this. But interestingly enough, I mean, it is simply a mechanism by which you can get to the same goal of your carbon emissions reductions targets. And you can hit those targets uh, by simply allowing people who go out of their way to reduce beyond the, the requirement. And then they use those credits to sell to others who can't meet their targets through uh, any other types of, of forms of doing it, whether it might be ingenuity, uh, uh, efficiencies, and when they run out of all of those things, they still must continue to, to reduce their targets. But the one point I, I want to make, which I think is it's very fascinating with respect to the question you asked uh, with respect to Meg Whitman, is that you know one of the things that California has always been, we've always been on the cutting edge of environmental cleanliness and, and been really led the nation in this respect for many, many decades. The one thing that's different over the last four to five years is that um, Governor Schwarzenegger has made this issue very, very popular across the board as a Republican governor uh, to, to take this challenge on the way he has and, and to do the remarkable things that he's done around this issue, I think speaks uh, uh, volumes of why this issue has become more and more mainstream in California. And I think that you know, it's no surprise to me that a Republican candidate for governor where 10 years ago would run away from an issue like this, you have a Republican candidate for governor now trying to run as close to Governor Schwarzenegger on this issue as possible. So I think it speaks volumes of, of his leadership, in effect. Well, thank, you. thank you. I just want to add that when you say about Washington, right now in Washington, nothing gets done. So I wouldn't be you know, just looking at this and say, well, Washington is against the cap and trade, and it's a no-no thing to say. Everything is a no-no thing to say in Washington right now. They cannot get anything done. It makes no difference if it is environmental issues, if it is uh, um, uh, energy issues, if it is immigration issues, and the list goes on and on. They just can't get anything done. It's a very divisive, it's, they say, it's, uh, when you look back in history, it's the most divisive uh, uh, Congress that we have ever had. And uh, so this is just shows you, but that doesn't mean that we should give up it doesn't mean that, that, we, you know, that we should not continue fighting. California is the leader. Washington has copied us in so many things. And I think in the end, you will see that Washington is also going to copy our environmental laws, our renewable uh, portfolio, our standards that we have set. All of those things Washington eventually is going to copy. Uh, Ed Markey was recently the co-author of Waxman Markey Bill was at Clement One recently. He said of the, the arc of history is long, quoting Martin Luther King, but eventually it bends towards justice. He basically said eventually they will pass cap and trade, uh, though perhaps not soon. There's a current story in the National Journal that looks at the 21 Republicans that have a good chance of winning a Senate seat. And it says that 19 of the 21 candidates for U.S. Senator in the Republican Party either believe global warming science is inconclusive 
or wrong. So as partisan as it might be in Washington right now, the prospects for a national action on this could perhaps be even dimmer uh, in the future. So what, how far can California go on its own? With, if Washington doesn't move, how far can California, and we have this Western Climate Initiative with other states and Canadian provinces, how, how far can California push? Well, since we never really waited for Washington, like I said in my speech, uh, we always went out on our own. And then we formed partnerships because we couldn't rely on Washington. So we formed uh, partnerships with Western states, with Northeastern states, with Southern states, with Mexican states, with the Canadian provinces, including with China. As a matter of fact, China mm -hmm. is waiting now with us to get our act together to do cap and trade with us. European countries have formed partnerships with us because of that. So we are really marching forward. Nothing can stop us. But of course, as I said, the challenge always is that there are companies like Valero and Desoro and so on that want to take us out. And so we will, we, we will have to continue fighting to keep those laws in place. And this is what this next five weeks is all about. So California is going to march forward. I think that the whole world knows that we are the leaders when it comes to uh, you know, uh, fighting global warming, uh, for working with renewables and having great standards. I mean, it's really remarkable if you think about 33% of renewables we're going to have in, by the year 2020. And that doesn't even include hydro. If you include hydro, we are talking about 45% of, re of renewables. I mean, that's, it's remarkable for a state like California. That shows extraordinary leadership. So we just have to go and fight for those things. And that's because of an executive order that you signed. Some people think that it would be uh, more teeth if there was an actual bill. And a bill died in the assembly, which your did, chief of staff it, called Frankenstein. I think that uh, Senator Poffley can tell you that it's never over until it's over. So that you're absolutely correct. And this is why we are working right now since the budget it would be probably voted on within the next week or so, so we can then have a special session, uh, so we can fine-tune of what they try to work on and then go and pass it also. So I think we can get the votes to get this passed. So it's never over. Uh, Senator, if you want to maybe address this just uh, briefly. Well, maybe not on the renewables, but directly on point on this discussion on waiting for the uh, federal government. You know, uh, we had the same opposition in the passage of the clean car law that you helped defend through your years in office. And that's a standard to reduce tailpipe emissions from automobiles. That's about 30% of all the reductions envisioned in AB 32, the broad-based approach on how we get uh, target reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. Everyone said, not just one state, wait for the federal government, Right. You can't make a difference on global warming. So we went out and developed partnerships, just as you uh, talked about with AB 32. Fourteen other states said, we'll stand up to the federal government. We'll join California. Well, we were getting to the tipping point where that was almost 50% of the automobiles sold. The Bush administration, you went back. I, I joined you. Uh, we asked for um, approval of the waiver from the Environmental Protection Agency. And you remember Stephen Johnson said, no way, no how. Didn't get that approval. Obama, in his first week in office, ordered the EPA to relook at that. The uh, waiver was approved, and now California's clean car standards, which is very instrumental and important to AB 32, is now the national policy. And countries like Cal uh, excuse me, countries like uh, Canada have also announced that they have joined our efforts. And so California can make a difference, and I think other states are poised to move ahead and not wait for a federal policy. 
And uh, if I heard correctly, it sounds like the governor's going to call a special section, se session of the legislature to push for renewable electricity standard. Do you think the votes are there? Do you think it will get passed? Senator Pavley. I think we have to look how it's framed and perhaps not everyone gets something that they need out of this and maybe a more broader approach to it, like we let uh, people implement AB 32 or 1493. I think let's get it done. I believe, I mean, I remember when the speaker uh, came to me and he says, look, this AB 32 will be really a great coup if we can get this done. Let's find a way. Let's sit down and find a way so that you're happy with it, that the environmentalists are happy with it, all the stakeholders are happy with it, the Democrats are happy with it, everyone is happy with it. And we found after months and months of negotiating, uh, because everyone had the will, we, we sat down, we found a way, we found that sweet spot. And so I'm absolutely convinced that we can also find that sweet spot uh, with our 33% of renewables. Uh, there, there's a way to do that, and I feel there's great will there with Senator Steinberg and Speaker Perez, and uh, with others uh, in there, so I'm sure that we can work on that. But I, I would like to just ask the speaker quickly a question, if you don't mind. I know sure. you're the interviewer. But <laughs> Taking I mean, my job here, Governor. <laughs> but I mean, you know, we are on the inside now. And so we are going to do everything on the inside to defend, uh, you know, Proposition you know, uh, AB 32 and to fight against Proposition 23. What do you think that people can do on the outside? in order to really uh, be successful and that we uh, kind of push back really hard and uh, make California victorious in this battle? Well, I think that, first of all, people need to, need to realize uh, what you said in your speech, which is you know, the fact that we are so far ahead of the rest of the country with respect to our commitment to the environment, uh, and in particular, the CO2 emissions reductions uh, law that is, a, is an historic law that we passed in this state, that people realize that we will not have a strong economy in California if we don't take the lead on this issue. And so as people are concerned these days about unemployment, the values of their, of their homes, uh, uh, they're, they're concerned about uh, the fact that it's very difficult to get a job, um, that this issue speaks directly to that. It's not simply an environmental issue. It's not just an altruistic thing to do. It's also important for our own economy. This is really the growth of our economy is in this area. You said it in your speech. This is, you know, if you look at the job growth, the job growth is in the green tech economy. And I see a lot of young people uh, that are here in the audience. And, and my message to, to all of you in particular is we got to get back to our communities and we have to talk to all of our family members to make sure that we get out to vote in this election. Because the people that get out to vote are the ones that are going to ultimately make, make the decision. And the choice that we have in this election is who's going to win, and it's two different groups of voters. It's either going to be the people who are angry and are going to vote on the no side of everything but on the yes side on 23, or it's going to be the people that really have hope in the promise of this great state, California. And this is an important issue to, to get out and vote on because it speaks to our jobs, it speaks to our environment, but it speaks to the viability of our state. So I think the question for those of us that are not in elected office um, is that we've got to get out there. We've got to talk to our friends and our family members to get out to vote and to vote no 
on Proposition 23. That would be my message, Governor. Thank you. Fabian Nunez is former Speaker of the California Assembly. We're at Climate One in Silicon Valley today with Governor Schwarzenegger and also State Senator Fran Pavley. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, the opponents of Proposition 23 often talk about these Texas oil companies sort of interfering in California politics. It's also true that California is a cash machine for the political system of the United States. We export a lot of cash into political races in other states and other districts. So are we being inconsistent here by saying we don't want Texas money coming here, but we're happy to export California cash to New York and other political races around the country? A lot of politicians come here weekly, daily to, to raise money from California. So is there a double standard there? I don't think it's a double standard. I, th I have always criticized, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, that politicians, they should take care of California. I mean, that all the, those national people that run for Congress and for Senate from, from other states come to California and have fundraisers and try to take the money from here. But then when it comes to environmental issues, they vote against it. So <laughs> I would not have a fundraiser if I would be in charge of, of all fundraising in California to let any of those characters come in here and to go and suck the state dry of money and to just come here and ask for money. So I think it's unfair. But the, the, it, it's irrelevant. We still have to fight uh, against Proposition 23, and I think it's, we still have to make people aware of that, uh, as the speaker said, that this is the right way to go because it is our future. And, you know, you have not even addressed yet really the, the health concerns that we have because of those refineries. All we are saying to the oil companies is clean up your act We've seen the kind of damage, the kind of pollution that you've created over the past uh, decades. Clean up the mess, and let's go and move forward with some regulations that, that, that uh, protects the people of California, protects the health, because when you see the kind just in the ports of Los Angeles, because of the soot and, the, the, and, and all of the stuff mm -hmm. that is in the air, uh, that really creates tremendous problems with lung diseases and heart diseases and all of those things. And I've mentioned earlier all the hospital visits and the premature death and the, the, the uh, you know, health-related issues that, that makes people die early and so on. So it's unnecessary. We can do much better than that. And we know now that there's technology available to clean our act, but it will cost some money. And they just don't want to put up this extra money and invest in the future. They want to just continue polluting, and that is what we are against. And this is why they try to eliminate uh, our environmental laws. Well, let's talk about that cost, because there's a lot of estimates. There's competing reports. There's Charles River Associates. There's one from Sacramento that's been largely debunked. What is this? If AB 32, if California's climate system is fully implemented, how is the average Californian going to feel it, either in, at the gas pump or in the utility bill? Senator Pavley? This is a, a critically important strategy. We're at a crossroads of transitional period right here in California, going backwards and continuing to base our economic future on fossil fuels is not going in the right direction. I was on a panel with T. Boone Pickens a few weeks ago, and, and he said, you have to love him, he said, they just question the stupidity of California and the United States for continuous reliance on um, foreign oil right. and other energy sources, that economically it's not in our best interest. The military agrees it's not in our best uh, security. Our nation's security is at stake. And so developing a clean, reliable energy source right here in California absolutely critical for the future and at the same time you can create those jobs right here whether it's wind or solar or alternative fuels otherwise we're going to be in a horrible state once the economy gets better and the demand for oil increases 
and rumors are that China has bought 20 years worth of oil supply, um, you know, across the world, we're, people are going to question, why didn't someone do something? Why didn't we sell, diversify our energy supply and make it right here where we can control it? So there is a lot at stake not just the environment, but the longer that I've been involved in this, and that's what hooked me into this discussion to begin with, I realize it's about our economic future. What about the cost, though? I mean, I understand all of that, but people often vote their pocketbook. Uh, Speaker Nunez, what is the cost to the average Californian if this is fully implemented? <clears throat> this is the, the, the fact of the matter is that there is no cost. This is about our economic vitality. The cost of not doing it is huge. The cost of not doing it means that California enters a retrogressive stage of economic influx. Um, why? Because we have seen billions of dollars already invested in new technology. If you look at fuel cell technologies, for example, or if you look at battery uh, technologies and vehicles, we have at least two companies in California that are already making a, a battery-powered vehicle that is going to go be, be on the market very soon. And so we're competing right now with other states that really want to be on the cutting edge of green technology. And this is really the only generator of jobs that we have seen, certainly in the last several years. So that if we do not do you know uh, how many jobs? Take advantage. Well, we've, many jobs? we've created, I mean, there's been, there's yes. been thousands, hundreds of thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of jobs have already been created, even though the, this law Five, has not done an effect. 500,000 since 2005, just from green technology. And billions of dollars in, 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 uh, in investment. Venture capital, that's absolutely right. No. But also, let's not be you know, uh, blind about the fact that it will cost some companies something. It's clear that when you say to a, uh, a, you know, a, a trucker that you have to, within the next five years, have some modification on your truck and your diesel truck, that it will cost them a few thousand dollars to put this modification, this modifying mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. I did the same thing. I went through it with my, with my Hummers. I mean, I have one Hummer. <laughs> I have one Hummer that uh, I turned into a biodiesel Hummer. Yes, it cost me an additional $6,000 to put that, that, uh, that, uh, that machine on there that uh, converts it to bio, that they can use biofuel, but it is worth it. It is, I have another Hummer that I turned into a hydrogen-fueled Hummer. Yeah, it costs money, but it is worth it to show that it can be done. That they, and and the, the, the idea of it is, is it's like with the cell phones, everything with, with, with solar panels. In the beginning, they are more expensive, and then as soon as more and more people are using it, then the price comes down. Cell phone, now, 20 years ago, it cost me $1,600. Today, I mean, you go in there for $25 and you get a cell phone. I mean, it's really amazing uh, because of how much the costs came down because of how many people are using it. And that's the idea, that everyone should use these new technologies and then the prices will come down, and that's the direction to go. So, yes, it will cost some people some money, but it is worth it. It's as much as when you go to the doctor and the doctor says, look, you need some surgery, but is it going to cost $12,000? But then your shoulder will be fine. You can move it again, everything. Will yeah, it costs you money maybe a, a deductible, whatever it will cost you, uh, but it is fixed and you then will be, feel uh, great. So I think there will always will be some costs, but in the end, we're going to come out as the big, uh, big winners because we're going to march in the, in, in the right direction. That is the important thing. Well, let's talk about China because you were recently there, and a lot of people think that China is going racing ahead. If you read Thomas Friedman, he certainly thinks that China's racing ahead while the U.S. tries to get its act together. Uh, what did you see in China, and are they going to take away the investment and the technology while the U.S. in California kind of spins its wheels on these issues? Well, I, I met with uh, some of the communist leaders 
the party leaders there in Shanghai. And it was really interesting. Um, I was over there for a trade mission and also to talk about our great uh, technology that we're developing here in, green, in the green areas. And they are very interested in our green technology. They themselves want to produce a lot of green technology. They put billions of dollars into research uh, and uh, you know, developing hybrid cars and electric cars, hydrogen cars, and all of those kind of things, because they know that the amount of cars that the, in the future uh, you know, the Chinese will be buying. And uh, the most of the questions in that one hour of sitting there with those leaders, they ask continuously only about uh, renewables, about uh, technolo green technology, about which direction we're going to go, how is this going to play out this fight over here with uh, AB32, with Proposition 23. They were really interested in that. They were also very interested in uh, starting the cap and trade with us, but it was all in the direction of the new energy rather than the old energy. Mm -hmm. They talked only about that. So that was really, to me, fascinating. And I think we have seen now how competitive they are of how many uh, solar plants that they're building over there in China. And uh, we now just gotten uh, permits to build an even bigger solar plant that they have, which made me very happy. And I told that leader that, that we are going to outdo them. Because we have had for years and years and years, for decades, the biggest solar plants in California. But then they outdid us and built a bigger one. And now we have just got the permits to build an even bigger one than There's theirs no is. It drives yeah, them I, bet, I bet they're working on a bigger <laughs> one. This, as I told them, I said, this is a healthy competition. This is, I say, I am very happy that every time we build the biggest one, that you build a bigger one, because that is music to my ears. So they're going in a direction. All of their buses are now electric. I mean, they, they really make some radical moves over there. But they also know that they can't keep up with, uh, you know, they have a major problem because the energy need is so enormous right. because their GDP increases uh, by 9% a year. So they have to go and fire up new coal-fired uh, power plants and all of this. But they're trying to reduce that uh, pollution by creating more solar and doing as much work as possible. But the key thing is for Washington to show leadership because when Washington shows leadership in this area, then the rest of the world is going to fall in line and it's going to do the same thing. We got to show leadership, and this is, I think, and I can tell you that even though my office is, I'm going to be in office for another four months, but I can guarantee you when I'm out of office, I will continue wage that fight. I will continue putting the spotlight on this very important issue and to uh, go and push Washington to go in that direction and to come up really once and for all with an energy policy and with an environmental policy that really makes sense so that companies from around the world can invest in America because the most important thing with, uh, when it comes to uh, renewables and when it comes to green technology and with all this is uh, that you have to set certain uh, uh, you know, regulations and have to have certain laws in place and create consistency. So we don't have what happened in the 70s when Jimmy Carter created this whole you know, uh, tax uh, uh, deductions for uh, solar and for wind and shale oil exploration and all of those things. And then the next administration came in and the oil price came down to $10 a barrel and they threw all of this out. There's no consistency in America. So in California we right. have consistency and that's what we are fighting for to hold on to our environmental laws so that we have the consistency. You got to show consistency. They, if America shows consistency with an energy policy like they do in Europe, but they have a 20 year plan, here's where we want to be in 20 years. We want to have 25% renewables, we want to do XYZ. That's when people start investing in America 
and in technology over here. So this is what we want to accomplish. We're discussing clean energy at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club in Silicon Valley today with Governor Schwarzenegger, State Senator Fran Pavley, and former Speaker Fabian Nunez. I'm Greg Dalton. Do you think President Obama is showing enough leadership on this issue, Governor? Uh, yes, I think that he has made it very clear that we need to have a energy policy, that we have to have an environmental policy in place. He has fought for that. He has talked about it. He has gone around the country talking about it during his campaign. He talked about it. But as I always say, it's not a dictatorship. One person cannot make the difference. So, you know, you can try, but when you have this kind of divisive Congress as he has now, it's very hard to get things done. But my advice to him always has been, every time I see him, don't give up. You never can give up or pull back because as soon as you pull back, they see vulnerability and they move in and they push you back big time. So I, when I ran in 2003, I always said, when the special interests push me around, I will push back. And that's what we have done continuously uh, with all of those issues. If it is healthcare uh, reform or if it is environmental uh, policies, we got to push back because there's always those companies that only think about their profits, uh, which is okay. I'm all for profits. I'm all for making millions of dollars or billions of dollars. That's what I love about America. But you also got to think about what is in the long run the best thing that, so that we don't only celebrate today the greatest country in the world, but also 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, we want to hold on to this, that we are the number one country in the world militarily, economically, and the greatest country for the greatest opportunities and the most generous country in the world. We want to hold on to all those things. And the only way we can do it is if we have a great energy policy, because without energy, we have nothing. So we've got to have a great energy policy. We've got to have a good environmental policy. And I think President Obama has been fighting for that. Let's, uh, we have a couple of questions from the audience about high-speed rail. I think you rode uh, the maglev in Shanghai I did uh, this summer. Uh, the, uh, we want to ask people, uh, let's ask you about the high-speed rail system. How can it be advanced and how big of a help is that going to be in reducing California's, uh, stimulating the economy and reducing carbon emissions in California? Senator Pavley? Well, this isn't my area of expertise other than to share with you that um, getting people out of their cars, anything we can do to facilitate that, not only trade, but mostly getting people out of their cars, providing alternatives um, to traditional one person in one car is in our best interest because that will reduce air pollution and it will also reduce our, our carbon footprint. And mm -hmm. so um, high-speed rail is part of the scoping plan. That'll be moving forward. We're also heavily invested, thanks to voter-approved bonds for um, transit systems and smarter growth strategies, which is also part of uh, AB 32, transit-oriented uh, development and corridors. High-speed rail is a key piece of the puzzle, but transportation and doing things smarter also is absolutely critical. I think it is absolutely crazy that we are traveling today the way we did 100 years ago. I mean, 100 years ago, they drove 70 miles an hour with the train, and now, 100 years later, we're still driving 70 miles. We're riding 70 miles an hour. I mean, it, and, and here we are in Italy, Spain, England, France, Germany, China, South Korea, Japan, and the list goes on. They're all having high-speed rail. Hello, are we asleep? <laughs> I thought that we are the number one country with the number one technology. We got to go and step it up when it comes to infrastructure. I mean, we are asleep at the wheel. Luckily, California has made a decision in 2006 
to go and rebuild our infrastructure. And again, this is something that uh, Speaker Nunez and I, we did together with Senator Parada. Uh, we all worked together with the Republican leaders. And we uh, really, uh, you know, had out there initiatives and about that, uh, that was for $42 billion in infrastructure to build and rebuild our roads and to build, our, you know, rail and the schools affordable housing and our levies and all of the things that are so important. And then the people have committed to, to, for a $10 billion infrastructure bonds for building the high-speed rail. And then we did the bonds and the prisons to build extra prison beds and so on and so forth. So we are the number one state in the union when it comes to infrastructure, but we have to do much more. We got to build the high-speed rail. We got to go and do the kind of things that really moves us forward because that's what made America so great that we built the, the, the highway system under uh, uh, you know, President Eisenhower. And, uh, and uh, you know, President Roosevelt built all these unbelievable bridges, and there was the huge battle about the Bay Bridge and about the Golden Gate Bridge and all this, but they built it. Look at the stuff that is now there, this extraordinary stuff, because they had the guts to build those things. That's what we have to do, is we have to have the guts, we have to have the big vision to go and to start building the high-speed rail up and down the state of California through the Central Valley in all of those places. We shouldn't even hesitate and argue over this point. You know, it's good for the environment. It's good for getting people up and down the state. Uh, we, don't, we don't have to go to an airport and go and get padded down and take off their shoes and, uh, and, 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 and fly around. We don't have to have all those planes take off all the time and, and, and emit uh, all those greenhouse gases. I mean, it, is, it is only has upsides, and that's why I'm a big believer in it. What do you think, Speaker? I support it 100%. For all the reasons you did. That's Wasn't why he enthusiastic? That's why we needed to come back. No. You wouldn't. Does anyone say this governor is tired? <laughs> but you wouldn't know. He, you know, he said earlier he's got four months left in office, and he's going to work to the very last day uh, on the things that he cares about. And, and uh, no, I think that what you said is is totally on on, on message and on target. Uh, there's no question that high speed rail uh, is fundamental to California's growth, and not just for tra for purposes of reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but uh, it'll it'll improve the economies in those areas where there's those, where there's stops. And that's why I think that, you know, in some, in some instances, the environmental community has to understand that um, we all have to work together to make this happen. And I think that, I think that we can get there with high-speed rail. I just hope that, you know, it, it happens sometime in the next decade. <laughs> the supervisors here who was on the board of, of the California High-Speed Rail Commission. We, ha we have a couple of questions here about timing. You mentioned, Governor, the largest industrial, uh, the largest solar plant here in California. Those things take decades to plan and build. There's a lot of red tape. We have a, some questions here from the audience about how these things can be facilitated, how the environmental regulations can be minimized so they can support more investment in clean technology and make them less complex and less restrictive for business well um i would would like my friends also to jump in on this because uh, you know we maybe have a different opinion about this i mean i don't know uh because uh, no i'm just Good. saying that because you know i'm a, it drives me absolutely insane uh because we have environmental laws in place that get abused all the time and we have sequa that was created under ronald reagan that gets abused all the time and uh, it, it, we, it takes us so long to, as you just said, to build a solar plant to get the permits or to get the permits for a power line for green energy to come on a grid uh, or to build our water infrastructure and all of those things. It takes too long. 
and it's because people use certain laws, environmental laws, to sue, uh, you know, uh, uh, when you try to build a high-speed rail or when you're trying to build a solar plant or when you try to build a, a, a power line or something like that. And it's, it's, it's not the using of the law, it's the abusing of the law that drives me nuts. And we, I've tried to work with the legislature on that to kind of cut short the permitting process so we don't sit there for 10 years. If you try to go and have, if you have an airport and you see that you need, there's more demand and you need to build an extra runway, it would take you at least 10 years to go and start building this runway. And that's stupid. It's a simple stupid. We don't need that. I think after two years of studying, we can figure out what is the environmental impact and move forward and build that runway. And this is why countries like South Korea and Japan and China and, and, and Brazil and, and places like that are shooting right, right past us when it comes to building those things. So, but we have, we have formed a great partnership with the locals, uh, for instance, the Mojave Desert, and with the federal government and with state officials. I put the point person in charge of that. Uh, to go and fight those battles. We have been, uh, you know, pretty successful uh, in the last year to get a lot of the permits for big solar plants. But there is basically 200-some companies that are standing in line that want to build solar plants out in the desert. So we are talking about if they all will get permits right now, we would have 60,000 megawatts of energy that is renewable. 60,000, and we are using right now, the day it's hot out, we maybe use 40,000 megawatts, just so you know how much megawatts this is. 60,000 megawatts we could get if we get the permits, but that is what is so difficult to get is the permits. So, you know, they come up with things, you know, there's a squirrel in the desert. They say, where's the squirrel? They say, well, there might be a squirrel. And I say, wait a minute, how can we go and do environmental stuff on a squirrel? Just recently, we almost didn't get the permits for a power line the Hatchapi power line, that we have all those windmills there, and we don't have enough power lines to get this power to the grid. So I said, we need the power line. They said, well, I don't know if we can give you the permits. And I said, why not? They said, because the condor, there is some sign that the condor is maybe moving from the beach areas east. I said, what do you mean there is some sign? Has there ever been a condor that flew into a windmill? No. We have seen no condor close to windmill. Well, but then why are you not giving the permits? You can't go by, there could be. Or there could be a squirrel, or there could be a condor, or there could be some. Yeah, there could be the end of the world. I mean, what are we talking about here? I mean, should we just stop everything because there could be something? So there's also this environmental craziness going on. So I am... So I'm, I'm all for protecting the environment. I am a big protector, but what is too much is too much. And we got to fight through that, and I think the legislature has to do a better job in getting rid of the abuses that are going on with those laws. That's my opinion. And this is why I said, friend maybe feels a little bit differently about that. and sees it there. Senator Patrick? <laughs> well, do environmentalists as, need, to, need to give a little as bit? As chair of the Natural Resources Committee and Water Committee, yeah. Oh. She chairs okay. the Natural Resources Committee. And I'm Commission, always governor. saying wonderful things about your environmental <laughs> record, Governor. So, uh-oh. Um, we, can, we can be smarter, and we need to expedite CEQA uh, re review for renewable energy, and I've been a strong supporter of that, not by gutting environmental protection, but I think there's 
uh, ways to expedite it. Anything we can do to put site renewables close to existing transmission lines makes it easier, obviously. Um, I have a minor bill on your desk at the moment that could, no, it's a, it's a, it's a step in the right direction, and that's facilitate facilitating under the subdivision map out consolidation of parcels close to cities uh, with the uh, consent, obviously, of the private owners. That would be closer to the jobs, closer to transmission. We need to do that, but we also need to ramp up, at the same time, investment in energy efficiency in small homes, excuse me, in homes and small businesses and weatherization. I know you're working very much on that. We can get a lot of reduction as well. So we've got a lot of things um, going on but I'm a huge supporter of getting up to your 33% uh, standards. Is it possible, I'm just thinking out of the box, to look at a master EIR for certain parts of, of the state at once with uh, some kind of review um, without going project by project? I mean, it, on development issues, you can do that on a city level. I don't know. So this um, afternoon we make the deal, okay? So don't worry about uh -oh. it. <laughs> Always scares me. So, but we can do both. You can do both. For the students, the key thing is you just heard the senator was lobbying the governor to sign her bill. That was the first thing. The second thing that was going on here is she was telling the governor she's open to his renewable portfolio standards thing in a special session because, of course, he wants to work to the very last day he's in office. And she's open to that. I think that's, you know, some of that what we heard. So this deal might get negotiated here. All right. We're here for... Uh... <laughs> but by the way, by the way, I do want to say, for, I do want to say for the record, I wouldn't be a good Democrat if I didn't push back a little bit on the governor on what he said about the environmental laws. I think that there are some instances where we take these laws a, a, a bit too, too dramatic and, and, and we're very, very serious about implementing uh, a lot of these environmental laws are very, very important laws that California really has led the rest of the country on. Um, that is not to say, however, that sometimes they get in the way of doing the right things and that, you know, speeding up the process on environmental review, creating red teams to get things done, uh, things done sooner, all those things are very important as well. I think the governor does a good job of dramatizing his perspective, and we all love him for that. You see, this is what's going on. <laughs> You, you maybe have listened to the speaker speak just now, but what he's really doing is, is he's wanted to put a little disclaimer on it so that his constituents, the environmentalists, say, yeah, Fabian, you did really well today. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all kinds of things going on right here. <laughs> also some subtext here. Yeah, he'll come out better than either one of us. <laughs> I love it. You're, really, you're a really good interviewer. Thank you. You're, you're getting all kinds of things out of us here. That's wow. We're discussing climate change and clean energy at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club in Silicon Valley. Our guest is Fabian Nunez, former Speaker of the California Assembly, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and State Senator Fran Pavley. We have just a few questions left. We need to get to the last question, which is we have several for the governor, which ask you about uh, your legacy and your future. As you come to the t end of your time as governor, what are you happy with the way you addressed it, and what issue do you regret not being able to address? And we also have some questions about your future, if you're going to be a climate ambassador in the future. Well, uh, first of all, let me just say that uh, you've got to keep the eye on the ball. So to me, what is going on right now, to finish the budget and to make sure that we have budget reform and that we have... Um, 
you know, the kind of reforms that we've been looking for uh, are all in place. And I think that um, the pension reform, for instance, is one issue that we have been struggling with since January, since I've announced it in my State of the State address, and that's something that we're working on right now. And all of this ought to be completed within the next week. And so there's a lot of work that is ahead of us this week. It's going to be a tough week for the legislators also and also for myself, for our office, to get all of this done. This is what I promised the people of California. So it would be a mistake for me to start thinking about what do I do after I'm finished. That would take attention away from what I'm doing right now. I promised the people I would be fighting for them. And and when I come back and do this show with you again, then we can do a roundup and reflect back and say what was accomplished, what was not accomplished. I'm telling you that I'm, as you know, I'm very ambitious and I'm never happy until everything is done. And this is why I said that there may be some things that will be left over. I will continue fighting for those things, like, for instance, water infrastructure that we pushed to 2012, that I will continue fighting for with my colleagues here and, uh, you know, go all out to promote that and make sure that it passes in 2012. So there's a lot of things like that. When I leave this office, the key thing is, is not to think about that I, will, that I stop with the work. I will continue working for California. It's a place that has given me all of the opportunities that I have gotten in life. I could have gotten anywhere else. Uh, I've gone anywhere else in the world. I would have not gotten 10% of the success that I've gotten in California. So California is really the magic place. America is a magic place. And this is why I was very happy for the last almost seven years to work uh, for the state and to continue working until the end for the state to promote tourism and to promote uh, selling California products worldwide to make, uh, you know, to create the government and the political reforms that are needed and to get some of those things done that we maybe did not get done on time. Senator Pavley or uh, Speaker Nunez, your thoughts on Governor Schwarzenegger's legacy? I was wondering if you were asking for my legacy. <laughs> Not yet. No, you're still in office. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know I was out so soon. Um, <laughs> we're not. Um, I always um, associate <clears throat> myself very closely with my major priorities as a legislator. I came into the assembly. I was in office in 2003. I thought, oh my God, we've had this recall. All my environmental work, all our energy work, the clean car law, that'll all go out the window. Governor, you've been a champion of all those issues. And what I appreciate the most is you're not as much worried about the day-to-day workings of the state, but how can you leave it in a better place than you found it, not just for this generation, but future generations. So I think that's your legacy. I think the governor's legacy is uh, he will be known in this state as being the one governor who was an agent of change for California at a very difficult time. Um, If you look at all of the things that he's worked on, whether it would be the solar roof, the uh, million uh, solar roof panel issue, uh, signing AB 32, uh, whether it would be the infrastructure investment uh, that he made, it's the largest investment in infrastructure ever uh, done in this state since... uh, Governor Brown was governor, not Jerry Brown. We're talking about Pat Brown. Um, I think that, you know, once the dust settles on the economy and all of the national and international implications that capital has had on the California economy and people will sort through all the things that have gone on during his tenure as governor, 
I think that people will, will reflect back and look at him as the governor who came to California with enthusiasm, with energy, uh, with a lot of insight, and uh, with a real willingness to make some significant changes. And I think those changes are seeing their way now, but in the next five to ten years, they will materialize a lot more. And I think that that's what he will be, the, the agent, uh, the, 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 the California governor who came with an agenda to, to change California. I think, in fact, uh, he's done a lot of that. And I think he'll continue, you know, plodding away until his last day in office. Now he wants the budget reform. You know, that's something I wouldn't give him when I was speaker. But the one thing I will tell you, he was right about it which is, you know, something needs to be worked on, I think they are, is that we cannot continue in California to use one-time monies for ongoing costs. You, it, it is just not viable to, to balance the budget. Our thanks to California Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, former Speaker of the Assembly, Fabian Nunez, and State Senator Fran Pavley for your comments here today at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton. Thank you all for coming. I'd like to ask you to please stay in your seats until the program is over and remind you and our radio audience that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton will be with us on October 15th in San Francisco talking about clean energy internationally and climate change. Thank you all for coming to Climate One. Thank you.